thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you here with us. If you're watching online, great to have you as well. How many of you remember the movie Castaway, starring Tom Hanks? Yeah, you remember the story? He, he's a FedEx employee that gets stranded by himself on a deserted island for five years. And all during this time, he's got this FedEx package that he never opens. Well, after he's rescued, he delivers the package to the address on the box, but we never see what's in the package. Well, FedEx produced a spoof TV commercial for the Super Bowl that year. Here it is. Hi. Hi. I've known on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. It's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, What's in the package? Nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Yeah, everything he needed for his survival, for his rescue, was right in his hands all the time. Help was closer than he thought. Well, everything that we need, not only for our survival and rescue, but for our health and our thriving is right here because mostly what we need is God. There's a man in the Old Testament who has an encounter with God one night and the next morning he writes this, Psalm 28, or Genesis 28. It's in your program notes if you wanna pull them out. His name was Jacob and he says, God is in this place truly and I didn't even know it. How much of our lives are lived just like this. God is right here. He's what we need, but, but we just don't know it. And we've been on this journey 40 days of prayer, and the intent of the series is to help us realize God is right here, and I do know it. I do know him. God's knocking on the door of your heart right now. Do you know it? God is in your mind when you're making decisions. Do you know it? When you get up, when you drive to the office, when you are in your place of work, you're in your vehicle, you're with your family, you're in your struggle, you're in your life, God is with you. Do you know it? Do you know it? And our fulfillment, our fruitfulness, even our satisfaction in prayer will depend on not how much we know about prayer, but how much we know about God. Because the purpose of prayer is not to become better prayers. The purpose of prayer is to get to know God. God is in this place. He's in our lives, and we can know it. Today, I want to teach you how to pray in five dimensions. I'm going to get to that in a minute, because God is a multi-dimensional God, and we see it uh, in a lot of ways. First of all, we see it in creation. Think about the created world. When we take a thoughtful look at the earth, at our solar system, at our galaxy, at our universe, it seems so sensible to conclude God did that. Romans 1.20 says, by taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. A single tree is enough to make us want to worship. 
When you think about the elegance and the beauty and the life that's just coursing through that tree. I mean, we could spend a whole lifetime and never create one ourselves. Have you ever thought about how many trees there are on the planet? The Tega Forest, which stretches from Sweden to Siberia, across to Alaska, and all the way across Canada, has, contains one-third of all the trees on the planet. It produces all the oxygen to, replete, to replenish the earth. And that's just one forest. Have you ever thought about how many fish there are? I think about this, actually. <laughs> there are over 700 billion sardines harvested off the coast of Peru every single year. And that's just one subspecies off of one coastline. There are over 31,000 species of fish. I'm happy if I can catch one species of fish. There are hundreds to even thousands of organisms in a single drop of pond water. Now, how many drops of pond water in a bucket? How many buckets in a pond? How many ponds and lakes on the planet? Things like protozoans and amoebas and water bears just swimming in that little drop of water. The earth is like this massive petri dish just screaming and trumpeting with diversity and abundance. Science has not been even to, able to catalog all the, all the organisms there are on the planet. And think of your human body. I mean, God put his genius on display when he created you. The human body has 10 to the 28th number of atoms. I mean, that's a pretty big number. That's how many atoms you have in your body. Astronomers guess that there are 10 to the 20th number of stars. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a million times more complex than the universe. Just say that to the person next to you. Now say this. Maybe that's why you're so hard to understand sometimes. Before you get all proud about that, your cat is also more complex than the universe. So there you go. <laughs> Nature is God's music. We see and hear and feel the beauty and the power and the vastness of creation. Do you know the player? You know the one who makes the music? God is closer than we think. The second way we see God's multidimensional nature is in the incarnation of Jesus. Incarnation is a fancy word that means fully God and fully human. For God to become a human being is not a problem for him. If God wanted to communicate with ants, he'd become an ant. If God wanted to communicate with horses, he'd become a horse. But God wanted to communicate with us, so he became one of us. Jonah Osborne performed a song called, What If God Was One of Us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Paul wrote with much more elegance about Jesus in Colossians when he says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. 
He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. Jesus is multidimensional, not bound by space or time, by physicality or spirituality, and yet the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus was in every way human except for the sin part and yet is in every way God. Yeah, I know, blows my mind. And it should. He's God after all. The sheer magnitude of Jesus' life, the impact that he had on society, I mean, it's just staggering, especially considering the fact that most of what we know about what Jesus did, he did in 36 short months. A Yale historian wrote this, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of supermagnet to pull up out of the history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? We see the multidimensionality of God in Jesus. He's closer than we think. And here's the third way. In the Holy Spirit. The word for wind and spirit is often the same in the Bible. How many of you like the wind? Not one person. Well, I found this picture of a Wyoming windsock. If the log chain is out 30 degrees, it's a fresh breeze. If it's out 60 degrees, there's a hurricane in the area. If it's out 75 degrees, watch out for slow flying trains. 90 degrees, welcome to big, wonderful Wyoming. (laughs) Jesus is explaining the Holy Spirit to Professor Nicodemus one night. And he says in John 3, you know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed. That's the way it is with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. What he's saying is you can't put the Holy Spirit in a test tube and figure him out. You can't control him. He's like the wind. You can hear the sound. You can see the effect and feel the effect. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit moves in dimensions we don't see. You can't see the Holy Spirit. So clearly that's a dimension that we're not acquainted with. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are multidimensional and yet are one being. What does that have to do with prayer? This is what it means. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. He's here. He's there. He's on heaven. He's in earth, on the earth. He's in the spirit world. He's in every moment of your world and mine. As human beings, we can understand maybe three dimensions. But God? Six? Ten? We have no idea. My son one time said this. Very insightful. He said, Dad... There could be another reality right here that God inhabits. Could be heaven right here, right now. He said, but because God is in a different dimension, we can't even see or experience it. He's God. And because God is in everywhere and in every dimension, we can talk to him about every single aspect of our lives. And today I wanna talk, as I mentioned, about five dimensions of praying. And there's actually a card in your program as well that you can take Every, I have five points, and every point has a little short prayer. And I hope you'll take this card home with you and use it every day this week. So here's the first dimension. I look backward to the cross. 
A guy said to me one day, I pray best when I'm in trouble. And since I'm in trouble a lot, I pray a lot. But our troubles aren't the best place to start when it comes to praying. Because then it's all about me. And oftentimes the best way to start is with God. And it's good to start your prayers with the cross because it prompts gratefulness. If you ever wondered if Jesus loves you because of something you've done in your past, here's what to do. Look past your past all the way to the cross. Look past your past, clear to the cross. Because when I think about Jesus dying on the cross for me, I'm just grateful. When I think about how much love that took, how costly my sin and evil is, and how completely I'm forgiven, I'm just thankful. We can always tell the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. There's a pastor named Tom Allen who tells the story, he's also a former army ranger, about his experience of watching the movie Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan. Have you seen that movie? You know the story then. There's a group of army rangers and they're sent behind enemy lines to find Private Ryan and bring him out to save him. And so they go, they go in to get him and this little group of elite army rangers, uh, some of them are killed on the way, skirmish after skirmish. Finally they find him holed up and he says, we've come to take you out to rescue And he says, I can't leave. I'm not gonna leave my men. There's a big battle coming and I'm not leaving. And so they stay together. And they fight this battle, and a lot of soldiers die. But they eventually win. And in one of the final scenes of the movie, the Tom Hanks figure who's been on this team to come in and save Private Ryan is sitting there, and he's bleeding, and he's wounded, and he's about to die. And Private Ryan leans down, and the Tom Hanks figure uh, character reaches up, and he grabs Private Ryan by his uniform, and he says, you better earn this and Tom Allen the former army ranger says I wanted to jump out of my seat and crawl up on the screen and grab Tom Hanks by the uniform and say an army ranger would never ever say earn this because for 200 years the motto of the army rangers is sua sponte which is Latin for I chose this I did this of my own free will. And that's what Jesus said on the cross. He said this in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I received this authority personally from my father. And we look back on the cross And we see Jesus there and he's bleeding out for us. He's never gonna turn to us and say, you better earn this. You better live a life to deserve this. No, what he says is, I love you. I did this willingly. I chose this for you. It's just grace. And when we think about that, Our response, here's the prayer, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. So when we pray, the first thing to do is look back at the cross and say to Jesus, thank you, thank you. And we often have a prayer list 
On the bottom of your message notes on the back page, I've printed a prayer playlist. If you want to deepen your experience of gratitude for what Jesus did on the cross, just take one of those songs every day this week. There's five of them. And as you listen to that song, you just over and over pray, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. Here's the second dimension. I look upward into the Father's loving face. God doesn't want you to see him as a dictator, as your supervisor, your coach, your boss. In fact, when Jesus said, this is how you should pray, he said, we should call God Abba, Father. Which to us doesn't sound so radical, but for 2,000 years through the Old Testament, only once or twice does anybody ever call God Father. Term of endearment. It was always the Almighty or King of Kings, Lord of Lords. But when the disciples asked Jesus to teach him how to pray, he says, start here. Call God Abba. A term of endearment. Which we would say, Dad, Papa. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. I don't know about you, but even the word father is a little formal. How many of you would say at the dinner table, please, father, pass the potatoes? Or uh, if your uh, son texts you from college and needs money, would he say, oh, dearest father, please send me some money? One, one uh, uh, college student sent this note to his dad. It's a six-word six, uh, text. No mun, no fun, your son. Dad texted him right back. Too bad, so sad, your dad. <laughs> Little girl was learning the Lord's Prayer one day and she didn't quite have it. And she prayed, our father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. She gets it, because it's true. That's the way, the kind of father that we have. How many of you attended a sporting event of a child at one point in your life? Or a grandchild. Yeah, we all have. And if you're ever late to one of these, and maybe it's a soccer game, uh, when you're walking up to the field and you see this little beehive of little kids just running around out there, who are you looking for? You're not looking for the coach. You're looking for the one that belongs to you. And as you get closer, you begin to observe all the players and, and you begin to narrow down and go, oh, that, that looks like her. That's how she runs. That's how she holds her head. That's how she kicks. That's how she does that. And as soon as you get up to the field close enough and you catch the eye of your child or grandchild, what do they do? Well, if they're in grade school, they usually, their, their, their face lights up and they usually give you a little wave. If they're in high school, they just do this and they move on. <laughs> but here's what happens in that moment. The child acknowledges that they belong to you. I'm a part of the family. And here's the prayer. I'm yours. I'm yours. Because when God gets, when you get up in the morning, God is scanning the earth for you. He made you. He knows how you think. He knows what you're gifted at. He knows what you love. He knows what makes you cry. He knows what you whine about. He knows where you struggle. And he wants us to look at him and say, I'm yours. I'm yours. I belong to you. 
I belong to you. And we can look up into the face of our good, good father and acknowledge I'm, I belong. I belong in the family of the God of the universe. Wow, now that's a family. Can you look upward today and say, I'm yours, I'm yours. And Jesus said this when he was here. He says, I don't want you to just wave at me. I want, I want you to acknowledge that, that, I'm your, that, that I'm yours and you're mine. In a, in, a, in a religious ceremony, if you will, he called it baptism. He said there was a meaningful way to acknowledge our dependence on God, our relationship with him. Just as we would, when we acknowledge our love for another human being and want to spend the rest of life with that person, we have a wedding ceremony typically. Jesus says, I want you to do it in the church. I want you to have a baptism ceremony where you acknowledge that you belong to me and I belong to you. And in fact, if you've never been baptized, after you've said, I'm yours to God at some point in your life, we're gonna have baptisms two weekends from this weekend here at Crossroads. And you could participate in one of those meaningful expressions of I'm yours. And if you want information about that, I'm gonna have a short 10 minute meeting right afterwards, right down here. If you'd like some information about how you can say to God, I'm yours in a very substantial and meaningful way. That's the second. Here's the third. I look inward to Jesus living inside of me. You know, Jesus lives actually right inside of you. A mom was explaining this to her five-year-old daughter one day. And you know how kids can be very literal. And so she said, yeah, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And the little girl said, really? Is he there now? Yeah. Could I like listen? And she says, mom goes, just goes with it. Sure. So the little daughter lays her little head on her chest. and She says, well, do you hear him? And the little daughter goes, I think so. I think he's perking coffee. Romans 8, 10 and 11 says, and Christ lives where? Within you. So even your body will die because of sin. The spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And what that means is I'm never alone. And this is the prayer. I am never, ever, ever alone. A couple years ago, my son called me and there was this sense of, alarm in his voice and he said he was four blocks away from us he says dad there's smoke in the house I can't find it I just called the fire department so I race over there and thankfully when I drove to the house there isn't like smoke billowing out the windows the fire department's there I walk in the house and there's fire personnel everywhere it ended up being a shorted out electrical socket but they didn't hadn't discovered it yet and there's personnel full bunker gear crawling all over the house and I walk in the living room and I look over in the corner and there's my five-year-old granddaughter, Lila, just standing there looking scared and alone. And as soon as she caught my eye, she runs through all these fire personnel and jumps in my arms and says, hold me, Papa, hold me. And I held her because I wanted her to know you are not alone. And when Jesus is within you, he wants you to know you are not alone. You never, ever have to face life alone. When do you feel the most alone? On Friday night, everybody else is going out. 
And it's you and Netflix and microwave popcorn for another Friday night. Maybe you've been sleeping back to back with your spouse for months. Haven't had an intimate moment, can't even remember. And you feel so alone. Or it's 3 a.m., you're wide awake. And your head is just spinning. Worry, fear, all spinning out all these scenarios. And you feel like, I'm alone in this. Or maybe you're a single parent. It's the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, end of the paycheck, end of your rope. And you go, I'm in this by myself. No, you're not. No, you're not. Jesus is within you. You're not alone. And that's the prayer. I'm not alone. Whenever we feel alone, we can always just remember. It's like God is closer than I think. He's right with me. I'm not alone. Here's number four. I look outward and choose to do good. You look outward at the world around you instead of criticizing or complaining, judging, whining, or for heaven's sake, Facebooking or blogging about what's wrong with the world. Why don't we say when we get up in the morning, God, show me what you're doing today. I want to get in on that because I know what you're doing is such a good thing. Romans 6, 13 says, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right, what is good for the glory of God. And here's the prayer. I'm ready. I'm ready. Dallas Willard says that we think it's sinners that need grace so much because we have shrink-wrapped grace into the forgiveness of sin alone. But he said grace is far more than that. He said the average Christian will burn grace like a 747 burns jet fuel. I like that. What's God doing in your place of work today? When you get up in the morning, are you asking that? God, what good things are you doing here? Because I'm going to need some jet fuel of grace to bring a positive spirit and energy into this negative environment. What is God doing in your family today? Well, you might need to burn some jet fuel of grace to stick with the discipline of love and logic instead of just giving it and yelling at your kids again. What's God doing through our church right now? You go, I don't don't have any energy for the church right now. It's okay, God does. He'll give it to you. It's called grace. Grace to serve, grace to give, grace to sacrifice. What's God doing in the life of, of a friend that you have right now that just seems so loaded and burdened? And you know, if you call him up and ask how it's going, it's gonna be a long conversation and you don't think you have the energy for it. That's okay. God says, I've got a ready supply of jet fuel, of grace jet fuel. If you need some, just ask. I'll give it to you. And we can crawl underneath the burden of our friend and lift some of it off of that person when we burn the jet fuel of grace. That's the fourth dimension. Look outward and pray, I'm ready. With your help and your grace, I'm ready to do something good today. Show me what it is, God. I want to get in on it. And here's the fifth prayer. I look forward to my future in faith. There's a courageous prophet in the Old Testament named Jeremiah. And he is ridiculed 
and criticized, ignored, abused. He's one of the most, I think, courageous leaders in the Old Testament. And the country of Israel is under siege by the brutal force and power of this country named Babylon. And, and God's told Jeremiah, you're going to lose. You're going to lose this battle. Babylon's going to come in. He's going to carry you off, take the people off into captivity. And of course, people don't want to hear that. But that's what God said is going to happen. And then God says, I promise, Jeremiah, that that's not going to be the end. People are going to come back. The, the land is going to produce crops. People are going to have this. Life is going to be good again. And then he tells Jeremiah, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go buy a field. Buy a field. And all the people are thinking, we're about to get carried off into captivity. Why on earth is Jeremiah going to spend good money on buying a field when he knows he'll never build on it, he'll never eat any of the crops of it, and he likely won't even see it. The Babylonians have their tents on it right now. And he buys the field. And God says to him, in Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? And God's promised, I'm gonna bring it back. Is that too hard? Is that too hard for people to think and to believe? To build their life and their faith on a promise of God? And so Jeremiah buys the field and in it he's saying, and here's the prayer, I believe. I believe. I'm not believing in my circumstances. I'm believing in the promise of God. That's what I'm going to believe. Because the circumstances look terrible. And we could say to God, I believe. I believe. Even though I have no clue how this is all going to turn out. Where is your life under siege today? What are you facing? Where you go, I, I don't know how that's going to come out. God is saying to each of us, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? You might think that your marriage is as good as it's ever gonna be and it's drifting and it's getting worse and you've tried a lot of stuff and you're going, I don't think anything could change and God comes to you and says in that moment, is anything too hard for me? Maybe you're single. And you're thinking, no one is ever going to want me. And God whispers, is anything too hard for me? Senior pastor of your church is going to step aside. And you're wondering about the future. And God says to us, is anything too hard for me? Someone you love is very sick. And they're not getting better. Or maybe someone you love has died. And the sunshine that used to inhabit your life has been clouded over. The clouds have rolled in. And they've been there for weeks or months. And you're wondering, is the sun ever, ever going to break through on my life again? And God says, is anything too hard for me? And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And even though there's darkness here, the light could shine brightly in our hearts again. 
Is anything too hard for God? Is it? Whatever you're facing, that addiction, that work project that's simply overwhelming, your kid is in a ditch somewhere, you've got a financial mess, whatever it is, and God comes and he says to us, is anything too hard for me? And his response and our response to him is this, I believe, I believe. Help me in my unbelief, but I do believe. And we can look forward and pray that prayer because God is closer than we think. And he wants to say, you can know it. You can know it. And we're gonna end our service again today like we did last week if you weren't here. And I'm gonna invite the band to come up right now. And I don't know what you need to say to God right now or what he wants to say to you. I mean, maybe it's one of those five prayers. I don't know what it is. But God wants to come and meet with you right now. We're gonna sing this song and we're also gonna have the prayer team in the room. We're gonna have someone over by that, prayer, that exit sign over there on the side, one here. I'll be right here, someone here and someone to that exit sign over there. And if you need prayer, you wanna pray with somebody, these are wonderful people who will help you. So let's stand and worship together. And if you need prayer, just come up to one of our prayer team members.